This is Wrestling Nostalgia with Dave Dynasty. Greetings and welcome to Wrestling Nostalgia. I am your host, Dave Dynasty. Thank you for joining us for another episode. And this is going to be our uh, final installment of the History of the WWA Timeline. And in this episode, it will be from 1986 to 1991, the Bruiser Bedlam years, uh, with Dr. Jerry Graham Jr. Now, this is an interview that Jerry and I did from about five or six years ago uh, that uh, we ran as part of, at that time, the uh, uh, Graham's Gallery podcast that he and I did together. So we discussed the entire history of Bruiser Bedlam, uh, lots of the things that went on with that. Uh, the the move to Detroit, then to Toledo, all, all that kind of stuff. So I, I decided, you know what? I've already conducted this interview. We've already discussed it. So I'm just going to reuse it to close out our WWA timeline on here. Now, that obviously does not mean we are finished with our coverage of the WWA, which just now we will focus on wrestlers or events or matches or, or more specific topics like we've done in the past. Um, as far as kind of our, our overview timelines, though, this is the final installment of this. So this rounds out. Uh, all these episodes, the, the previous episodes I did with Richard Vicek, now this one with Dr. Jerry Graham Jr., so you can want to go back and re-listen to them all just straight through, binge them all, and you'll have the complete timeline and overview of the WWA. But again, lots more WWA history will be coming in future episodes. Do not worry about that. Uh, in the meantime, make sure you follow us on social media. Uh, the We're on uh, X, Facebook, Instagram, and Threads. Uh, all you got to do is look up Dave Dynasty or on X, just look up at the Dave Dynasty and you can find us there. Uh, that's the best way, you know, just follow me. Uh, that's where I post everything for the show. I post lots of history, pictures, clips, dates, events, different things. Uh, so make sure you check those out. Make sure you subscribe to me on YouTube. It's youtube.com slash the Dave Dynasty. Uh, and remember, wherever you listen to the podcast, whatever platform you choose, please make sure you subscribe to us. And if the option is there, please give us a rating and a review that helps us in those algorithms. And lastly, the best way to support the show is to buy a shirt. Go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash The Dave Dynasty. We have lots of choices there, uh, including if you're a fan of Dr. Jerry Graham Jr. He has one there on my store. So go check it out and buy one today. Uh, Nothing really going on in the modern world that I want to talk about per se. Uh, Obviously, everybody knows... uh, you know, everybody's talking about the uh, all the the lawsuits and uh, happenings with Vince McMahon that's being discussed uh, just intensely out there in the world. Um, it, the involvement of that with you know the involvement per se, we don't know for sure, right? But it is highly indicated the the involvement that could be with Brock Lesnar involved in that. Uh, that's that's you know obviously being discussed out there. Um, you know, another hot topic right now is, you know, the CM Punk injury. As we go into WrestleMania, he's going to be missing WrestleMania and going to be out for a while. Uh, so that's going to kind of reshape some things. But that's, you know, they that's that's part of the business, right? That stuff happens. Injuries all the time uh, affect uh, what's happening. It affects the plans, right? It reshapes things. And there's some, some very uh, historical things that have occurred coming out of injuries where uh, things have happened that were not the initial plan. So who knows what will happen, right? It's it's an intriguing time in pro wrestling. Um, it is it is kind of a shame right now that there's a lot of uh, a negative attention uh, being you know directed our way because of so, some of these events and some of these happenings. But uh, hopefully this is a this is an opportunity for professional wrestling to to step up 
and and continue to evolve, continue to clean up its act, and continue to uh, hopefully purge itself of, of some of this, you know, this this kind of stuff, right? I mean, I you know, there, while maybe we didn't know the degree of it, there's there's been a lot of talk about Vince and his behavior for for a long time, right? So um, it is what it is. Again, I'm not going to dive into that. So. Uh, th- that's all there is to it. Let's just take a break. And when we come back, uh, I'll have the interview with Dr. Jerry Graham Jr. discussing the Bruiser Bedlam years of WWE. So stick around. If you like horror movies, be sure to check out Dave Dynasty and Ike Isaacs on the Listen to Their Screams or podcast. It is available on all podcast platforms and on social media at Listen to Screams. That is Listen, the number two in Screams. He is a multi-time WWA Tag Team Champion, the former owner of Bruiser Bedlam Wrestling, and the most educated man in professional wrestling. He is Dr. Jerry Graham Jr. Doctor, how are you tonight? Very good, but that's the most highly educated. Don't forget to put oh, in highly educated. Highly. I okay. apologize. Other than that, that's all right. I'm, if I answer your question, I'm fine. I'm glad to be with you tonight, Dave. All right. And this episode, Doctor, we are going to talk about kind of some behind the scenes of Bruiser Bedlam how it came to be in its history. Are you ready to dive in? I'm ready. You ask the questions and I'll answer them. All right. Well, let's, let's start. Let's give, let's kind of give a little back history leading to Bruiser Bedlam. Uh, you'd been working for Bruiser in Indianapolis for several years and main event had become a big draw and star for Bruiser. So how did it get to the point where you and Bruiser were talking and discussing becoming partners? How did it get to there? Well, I was always a businessman at heart, and I could see the, the real money in professional wrestling is in promotion. That's just uh, that's a no-brainer. Right. So I didn't want to get into promotion, but I didn't want to start any outlaw promotions and make a bunch of enemies. But I went, uh, but Toledo had gone dead. The Sheik had been there, but he hadn't been running there, so it was just nothing there. So Bruiser had told me that if I could get Toledo Television, would be partners in Toledo and in any other towns that I might be able to get for him. So I was able to get the Toledo Television uh, Fox Channel 36 with Miller Beer as a sponsor, which a lot of times we didn't have sponsors, which was the Miller Beer paid for the TV time. So uh, I started Dick out with a pretty sweet deal. Because right. a lot of time in those days, wrestling promotions had to actually pay for the time on TV and hope they sold enough tickets to, uh, to uh, you know, take care of everything. But in this particular case, uh, and Billy we were also paid for half of our production. Right. Well, we got into there, but then we were approached by a past sports network in Detroit. They approached me, and they had this idea that they wanted to do a wrestling show with Victor Bruiser as the commentator. Mm-hmm. So I got all the people together. I got uh, a Bruiser, and I got the guys from Pass. I can't recall the names right now. It's been so long. But uh, so we went on Pass. Sports. Now, I don't know if Pass is still in business anymore. Do you know that? I mean, it was one of those sports channels in the 80s. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, yeah. we were we were on, we, we got on Pass, and the Pass started doing our production for us. And the, the deal was that we would get a copy of the, the tape, so we didn't need Miller Beer to help us with production, because Pass was doing the production, and that was part of our deal, that we would get a copy of the tape used in our other towns. Yeah. Well... Uh, we went into the Premier Center, which was outside of Detroit. It was a beautiful facility. We did very well, but uh, I'm not going to – one thing I'm – I did tell you I'd answer any question, but this could be – have to 
be legal. You know what I mean? Let's just say that uh, some of the intermediary past was fine, okay? Mm -hmm. But some of the intermediaries that we were dealing with to help put the deal together were not so fine. Yeah. And things weren't uh, uh, being distributed the way they should be being distributed. We caught it. So we just uh, kept the name Bruiser Bedlam, and we uh, got back with another beer, Sam Botech, very generous, very good fan, uh, and uh, and uh, we moved our promotion of the Hotel Sofitel in Toledo. But pretty much that's what it was. It went from WWA uh, to the Bruiser Bedlam, Dick the Bruiser and Terry Sullivan as the commentators. Mm -hmm. And uh, at that time, Dick the Bruiser had so much confidence in me, he put me in charge of booking the whole the whole, the whole promotion, because that time we had Detroit, we had Ann Arbor, to George Cannon, we had Windsor, Ontario. Those days, yeah. So, you know, oh, go ahead. Okay. So when you when you and Bruiser started this partnership, was he the only owner of WWA at the time? Well, he and Wilbur Snyder were partners, but Wilbur Snyder had retired. Okay. So. I'm not sure what their exact financial agreement was, whether Wilbur would get so much money or uh, whatever. I, I have no idea. Okay. I know Wilbur was out of the picture. He retired to Florida. Okay. And Dick, Dick stayed on. And Dick had me uh, helping him in uh, Indiana as well, though I didn't have a piece of Indiana. Indiana and Illinois, I was an employee, but in Ohio and Michigan, I was a partner. Okay. And uh, our headquarters were in Toledo, and, uh, uh, and we did very well. Yeah, and we did very well with that promotion. And you mentioned you mentioned Sam Botek, so he was the the Miller distributor, right? That helped with you. I, he was well, on he, several programs. I mean, I, I remember seeing him on a few programs. Oh yes, yeah. he was very into wrestling. He was he was, and he knew his wrestling. He was a, he knew the he he would do co some color commentary. He would do some interviews. Once he even got into a six man tag match, and he did very well. Yeah. Because after the match is over, he's laying flat on his back in a dressing room gasping for air. Well, I'm telling you, he, he did a good job for having never wrestled before. And uh, he liked to be part of the promotion. And he liked that he was uh, very generous with his sponsorship. And he was he was a very nice man. He was a big contributor to charities such as Make-A-Wish Foundation and stuff. And he, he, he has since sold his distributorship and retired to Florida. But right. I have nothing but the finest things to say about Sam Botek. Because without him, Bruiser Bellum couldn't have continued after we left pass. Yeah. Okay, and then well, another name I came across, and I'm not sure what the title is, was John Robinson Block, I believe, was a newspaper editor, yes. publisher. What role Absolutely. did he play? Absolutely. Well, he played a very big role because they also owned the cable system. Okay. And they also they also owned five TV stations at that time. I don't know what they have now. I haven't seen John in years. He and I at one time were very good friends, but he owned the Toledo Blade and the Buckeye cable system, uh -huh. and then he bought a newspaper in Pittsburgh. He lives in Pittsburgh now, and they bought. They own a TV station. The last I heard in Louisville, Lafayette, Indiana, uh, all over the country. Very, very successful. He got us on their cable channel. I first took Bruiser's tapes before Bruiser Bedlam. He got, they had a cable channel for Toledo and he got us on, charged us nothing. And, uh, and he gave us good newspaper coverage too. Those days people still read the paper, though it's getting more and more to the internet today. But, uh, he was very, he was another one. I always said there were three people that wasn't for outside of myself making me four, but three people that made Bruiser Bedlam possible was Sam Botek, John Robinson Block, and a man named Dennis Cattell. He was the station manager at Channel 36, and he also helped me a lot with the production. Okay. He showed me how to produce, how to work the equipment, and he helped us put the show together. 
and he was a tremendous, tremendous help to us. And it was, it was a collaboration. I try to tell the young guys of today that they want to do everything, uh-huh. get involved with an organization. Yeah. Have a collaboration, but they ninety uh, percent of them just don't understand. They don't grasp how this business should be structured. Yeah, you know. But uh, uh, that's a, maybe that's a story for another day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A subject for another day. Yeah, and um, and as you mentioned earlier, uh, your your lead commentator was Terry Sullivan. How far back do you and Terry go uh, in the business? Go well, back to the early seventies. He was around when I started in the business. I think he might have started a little before me. But he was a. I saw him just the other day, and uh, uh, we're still friends. We still keep in touch, and he he was very very brilliant. He had a great vocabulary, a good speaking voice, yeah. and he knew wrestling. Yeah. He knew what was going on. He could pick up on things. He was very good. Now, did did he call wrestling for Sheik or anything prior to Bedlam or? Well, he started with the Sheik. Yeah. Okay. He started that. as a ring announcer. Then they made him a commentator. As far as I was concerned, of all the commentators that she had, I always thought Terry Sullivan was the best. Yeah. But that's an opinion. Yeah. But of course, I'm an expert on wrestling, so my opinion <laughs> is very valuable. Yeah. I always loved the stuff in Bedlam with, with you and, and Terry interacting. I thought, because you guys were such great uh, contrast to each other in the interaction. I thought it was so great uh, with, with some of your interactions on, on, you know, on Graham's Gallery and different clips. I thought you guys uh, yeah. worked really well, well together. Well, it's because he and I both have the head for the business. We know what to do. Yes. And that was, uh, and that didn't just, I wasn't just born that way, and neither was Terry. We were both, we both had, some people have a proclivity to be a good carpenter, a good plumber, a good, I could do different things. We had a mind for wrestling, and we listened and paid attention to the older guys that would show us stuff that we would absorb. Terry could absorb stuff, and I could absorb stuff. And that was just, it was what we were meant to do, I guess. Yeah. So how did the name Bruiser Bedlam come about? That was a main, I could be, I could sit here and, and bloviate <laughs> and say that was my idea because I'm a genius, but it really it was Cass's idea. Okay. It was they gave it they gave it the name. Yeah. Okay. Um, so so we, well, we had a friendly part of the ways after they realized the middle men had not been doing what they're supposed to do. There was no problem with us keeping the name. Yeah. So so Bruiser Bedlam. Was a, was a separate was it a separate entity of championship wrestling and, and WWA? How did how did the well because we moved those tapes right into Indiana and Illinois too. We okay. started running on all the tapes. And in fact, Bruiser and I had a deal which I thought was kind of unique in this business. Uh, uh, after we got established, I had my my college. I had Detroit. I had with partnership. Now, when I say I, I mean Dick and I. Yeah. I had Detroit, and I, but then when we got to a point, Dick says, "Here's the deal." He says. Anything you get is yours, and anything I get is mine. So if I had gone and got Cleveland, Cleveland would have been all mine. Uh-huh. If he would have went and got Louisville with these tapes, they would have been all his. Yeah. This is when we were doing the tapes in Toledo. We were going 50-50 on the production. So we had towns that we were partners in and splitting up, and then Dick came up with that deal. So a lot of times guys would come up to me and say, I hope you're not mad because I, I bought some uh, Bruiser Bevan tapes from Dick. And I said, why should I be mad? That's a deal. If, I, yeah. if he wanted to make copies and sell them, he could. If I wanted to make copies, I mean, it was just that. He, it was his idea. It worked out fine for me because I started running a few towns. It was all mine. And, uh, yeah. Once again, the, the money in wrestling is in the Unless you have to be like a, a real big Superman, like old Steve Austin or something. But yeah. uh, but for the average wrestler, if you want to make money, you've got to be in the – we've got to have a piece of the action. Right. <laughs> So was was Dick still running many shows in Indiana? I mean, or was it just sporadic at this point? Yeah, 
Yeah. No, he was he was running South Bend, Indianapolis, at the Tyndale Armory. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think, Fort Wayne, I forget the name, we were the big coliseum, but he moved to a smaller building in Fort Wayne, uh-huh. Hammond, Indiana, we seem to stay at the Hammond Civic Center, and then he always had, you know, some uh, fundraisers with booster clubs and stuff for schools yeah. and that, and those were usually successful. Yeah. So we see what, what schools, we can't get the booster clubs nowadays to see, but what they would do is if they would have like one show a year. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about running Russell Ringler Base, like think of Jonesville, Indiana or something. I just make that name up. But yeah. if it was going to be a once-year thing, they would usually have the place packed. Mm-hmm. I ran a town here in Toledo, in the Ohio area called Continental Ohio, and we did $10 million in sales. That was my best spot show ever. And a few months later, they wanted to try it again, and it dropped to 6000 The 6000 was still good. So uh, uh, there could be a lot of money to be raised. And when Dick the Bruiser in his prime, man, he had like a couple of schools a week, 52 weeks a year at fair dates in the summer to fill in with the towns. That makes a lot of extra money yeah. for a, a promotion. Right. Yeah. Okay, so so essentially, so you were running Ohio, Michigan. He was running Indiana, yep. Illinois. And mm-hmm. you were running the same tapes that you were recording out of Toledo. And you yes. were taking them to your towns and your areas. He was taking them to his, and it was... Just a split. Your business is yours. His is his. But but yet you were working well, together the, in a cooperation. The, the first towns I got, our, our partners didn't dissolve. We were still partners in Detroit. We were still partners in Toledo. We were still partners in the cities that we started. Uh-huh. But then after that got established, and Dick, being uh, most people didn't think he was generous, but uh, of course he was thinking of himself too. Uh, so if he figured if he got a big town, I might come in and say, hey, wait a minute, we got that town. I could see where he was protecting himself as well. But it was, like I said, I thought he got Cleveland or, uh, uh, or Columbus or anything like that. That would have been mine. Yeah. So I did get a few smaller towns, but that, that was the deal. It was still very fair, and I did very well. One thing I'd like to say about Bruiser Bellum right now, if I may, mm-hmm. just to go on the record, is every, I, you know, I have no life so I, anymore, so I spend a lot of time on the Internet. Uh-huh. Okay, And every now and then I'll come up on a chat room or something like that where I always talk about how the dying days of Bruiser Bedlam and how uh, we went bankrupt. Yeah. Just for the record, Bruiser Bedlam turned a profit every year. Yeah. Uh, last year was exceptionally good because we had that Leon Spinks deal where Wojo fought Leon Spinks in a mixed match, and that drew a lot of money. And uh, we did very well, but... Uh, Dick and I were both, what I would say, visionaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I mean by that is uh, some guys will fall off the Empire State Building and they'll get to the 50th floor and they'll say it doesn't hurt yet. <laughs> but, but a wise man knows that 50 more floors is going to hurt a lot. <laughs> yeah. So at that time, Dick said we could compete against uh, WWF at the time they were called because they only would come to uh, town like once every couple of months. It would run like every couple of weeks. But when then Ted Turner got into it, we could see that it would be probably eight, seven or eight shows in our towns, run in our big towns, run by them that would kill our action. So we uh, decided it'd be a good idea to close down while we were ahead. Yeah. And we did. And we shook hands, and Dick and I were friends to the day he died. Yeah. But uh, uh, sometimes, you know, a good poker player knows when to fold his hand. Mm-hmm. And But we never went bankrupt. We never went broke. Nobody ever didn't get paid that worked for us. In fact, the guys that worked for us, uh, for the size promotion we were, the guys that are still alive, were, said we were very, we paid very well, which we did. Yeah. 
guys were used to making 50 bucks for a main event. We're getting 250 bucks yeah. for a main event. Yeah. I mean, it was just, uh, I think it was a successful, successful promotion. But a lot of times people get jealous. And it's always the curs and mongrels that slip away at the tails of champions. Yep. That's right. So now I, I heard you tell a story one time about talking, you talk about uh, when you were running in, in downtown Toledo at the hotel. And mm-hmm. uh, you helped kind of revitalize the downtown there, but then there, there ended up having some issues with the uh, kind of the community's vision, and, and wrestling and boxing wasn't fitting in that. What was that all about? Well, that was uh, you know these. Uh, have you ever read the book The Peter Principle? Uh, it no. shows how in, incompetent people get promoted because the guy promoting them doesn't want to promote anybody that might take their job. In other words, right. you're a manager somewhere. You're not going to hire an assistant that you might think is smarter than you. So the book's about how the whole corporate world works on promotions being based on uh, how the guy hiring you. It's going to affect you. He doesn't want to hire somebody who can take his job. Well, we had a bunch of imbeciles like that running Toledo. Okay. Now, they wanted to build up downtown Toledo. Now, we had this beautiful facility. It's still there, but it's been run down a little bit. But it was a top-notch French hotel called the Hotel Sofitel. Mm-hmm. Beautiful ballroom. It was Sam Botek's idea for Miller Beer to run in there. And John Black was all for it. He gave us great publicity. And we would go in there the first Sunday of every month and have the place packed. And we were going out on all, the, all of our uh, syndicated. We were being seen in Springfield, Illinois, which led into St. Louis. We were being seen in Chicago, Indianapolis, Detroit, Windsor, also Ontario because of George Cannon's connections. Mm-hmm. And we were just starting to get letters and stuff from people that wanted to know what our schedule was because they wanted to come to Toledo and stay because downtown Toledo was dead at the time. Mm-hmm. They wanted to stay at the Hotel Sofitel for the weekend, taking the matches on Sunday, you know, and uh, and just spend some time in Toledo. Mm-hmm. So we were doing well. So a, a boxing promoter got the same idea. He put on a terrific show in Toledo at the, at the Sofitel. I was there. And uh, uh, they had 10 former or current world champions at ringside, including Tommy Hearns, uh-huh. to sign autographs. And we had a lightweight champion from Toledo named Bernard Benton at the time. He fought a non-title fight. So it was a first-class boxing show. Place was, was being packed. And what I'm saying, this in itself was not going to save downtown Toledo. It was like the building blocks. Mm-hmm. But here you are. Uh, you got boxing and, and wrestling going out all over the Midwest. In fact, boxing was on the Past Sports Network at that time, which was going out even farther, and people were starting to talk about Toledo. And uh, we were getting fan mail from Toledo, and we were getting this, we were getting that. And then one day, uh, the Hotel Sofitel was connected to the Owens, Illinois building. It was a huge corporation that has a world headquarters in Toledo, the glass company. Okay. They had an executive, and they, they, they uh, to help Sofitel out, they booked like uh, 25 rooms on, every night whether they used them or not, just to have, because they, they may have somebody come in out at the last minute, they need to have a room. So it was a Sunday night, and a guy came into Toledo for a Monday meeting from Owens, Illinois. So he's walking around, he walks over because they were connected buildings, and he sees there's some wrestling going on in the, uh, in the uh, Sofitel, so he thinks it's going to be collegiate wrestling. They thought it was going to be Olympics, it's going to be uh, AAU, and at the time he walked in, there was a little of a barbed wire match. Everybody, everybody's bleeding and, and Scott Steiner who I started was in the match and, and he put up such a fuss and such a complaint even though we were bringing in I mean, the Sofitel's occupancy was about six to eight rooms on a Sunday night mm-hmm. and every every Sunday we were packed 
they would always run out of beer in the bars because the guys would come and eat early, then drink after the matches. It was bringing commerce to downtown Toledo. Right. But uh, and I got that idea. Uh, well, Sam Botek picked us over from the Chase Hotel in, in St. Louis, which had wrestling since the forties, and that was a and that was a real five star hotel. That made the Sofa Hotel look like a Red Roof Inn. <laughs> well, I mean, well, I mean, uh, the big cities like St. Louis had the sophistication they could do that, but in Toledo. These guys are just small-minded people with no vision, and that's why Toledo's in very bad shape right now. Yeah, it's just uh, it should be you know one of the Great Lakes or the Midwest, we where all these highways and turnpikes. We should be a boom town. Yeah, but uh, that's a, well, thing that was that was the thinking. Now they didn't understand. They threw us out of the uh, Sofitel. They threw the boxing out of the Sofitel. They replaced it with dinner theater. Yeah. <laughs> now the twenty people that were there. Disappointed because the show closed after the first act. Wow, that's so, a joke. You see, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> the show closes. Most shows do finish the first night anyway. Yeah, <laughs> it was a total disaster. It was a to- it was a total disaster. The dinner theater, and it was done. It was just it was just amazing because I I could see it. I should have ran from there, I suppose, but I <laughs> but I'm too honest. I'm too honest, so I wouldn't have made a good politician. Yeah. So, so you said you ran the hotel once a month. Is that what you said? First Sunday of every month. And were you and recording then, TV then? Is that yeah? Uh, we shows? did our TV at the Soul Hotel. We did the TV at the Hotel. Yes, we recorded. Okay. That's where uh, on the summers, uh What was I going to say? Uh, uh, well, I forget now. But it was something reminded me when I said we were first Sunday of every month ran the Soul Hotel, and I had a thought, but. It's, it's go it's happens to get to be seventy and senile. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. Okay, so you the first Sunday very month and you recorded the four you recorded a, a month's worth of T V, correct? When did you uh oh. oh go ahead. Well what we would do is we would just record the shows. Okay. Okay. And then we'd also have a free taping session in the studios at Channel Eleven, even though we were at Channel thirty six, eleven let us do you know, studio matches where you have three or four rows of people. Yeah. So we'll take the studio matches and the social matches and we'd later post-produce the shows with wraparounds where uh-huh. Terry Sullivan and the guest would talk about that the show and they would move the storyline along. Very good at it. Okay. Very good at it. It takes really two people to do that. And they, yeah. uh, they, they did a very good job and it was just a complete success. After we lost the social tell, things went downhill. Uh, also, we, uh, there was, like I said, we're still making money, but it's open till like uh, for, for a brief period of time, I had the record for money paid for tickets for a wrestling match in Toledo. Now, not head count, because uh-huh. the, the, the record holder was the old nature boy, Buddy Rogers, who had like 6,000 people yeah. under the Toledo Sports Arena, but they only getting a bucket ticket in those days. Yeah, right. So I'm talking about the 50s. So anyway, the night that I came out, I recovered from my car accident at Russell Chris Carter, we did $15,000, which had never been done at the sports arena. Of course, a few months later, Hulk Hogan came in and did $95,000. So <laughs> it was a short, it was a short-lived record, but at one time I had the record for the most money paid for me. And that night, by the way, I wrestled Carter. This is a true story. The fire marshal cut the crowd off. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's a true sellout. A sellout is a very overused word. They say, well, hey, we sold out. Maybe it was just 90% full. Might have been a huge crowd. They say it was sold out. Sure. You're not sold out until the fire marshal cuts that's, off the crowd, as far as I'm right. concerned. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay. Where did you record those wraparounds and, like, your grand gallery clips and things like that? Was that done at the TV studios? or? Well, the, yeah. Well, the uh, Graham's Gallery we started doing in uh, 
Detroit, and we kept doing them at, cha at the studios at uh, Channel 36. Okay. Uh, 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 and the wraparounds were done at, at the Channel 36 production studios as well. Yeah. All sponsored by Miller Beer. Did you uh, now, did you ever have any backlash from the Sheik once you started getting successful in Toledo? Of course, of course. He tried, he tried to get Channel 36 away from me. You know, uh, he wasn't run, he wasn't running Toledo, and he had fired me. Let's yeah. keep this in mind right now. I, I think we talked about that on our last show. Yeah. Very briefly, just as I was working for the Sheik. I was one of the most loyal employees. I would have done anything for that man because he helped me get started in wrestling. Yep. And then I told you on the last show, but just to catch up, uh, I was riding with Big Jerry Graham. This is before I took his name and became his son. We were just booking, and we had the Indianapolis on our route. So we were in Indianapolis one day, and the Sheik was there, and the Sheik and Jerry Graham got in a horrible argument about something that had happened in Toronto. At that point, I had never wrestled in Toronto. I was not partners with Jerry Graham. I was just another wrestler in the dressing room. But because I was with Jerry Graham, the Sheik fired me as well. And I never, I called it, uh, I, I called and asked what's going on, and he wouldn't use me, and that was it. So guess what? Then they closed Toledo down. I didn't feel I had hurt or double-crossed anyone. But he should have tried to get back in to Toledo once I got it. And uh, so I don't know. Obviously, he... Uh, he didn't like the idea of me being there, but it's not like I went in there and ran simultaneously against him or anything. Yeah. Toledo was a dead time when I took it over. Yeah, now nothing did, was going on. Did he ever try to run opposition to you? Did he ever try to run a show when you were running or anything like that? Not that I recall. No, he just tried to. He may have. He, may, have, he may had shows in his own building to hold a hundred people and yeah. stuff. I know I had some competition. Well, I, I can't honestly say I remember the sheet running up. I don't want to say something I don't, don't know is positive. Yeah. I don't recall. I know we had a lot of positions here and there, but they, doesn't, they don't last long. Because without TV, you've got nothing. Yeah. I don't care right. how, how good your matches are. That's why we're back on TV here in Cleo. Uh, you can watch a show anywhere in the world on uh, Fight TV if you get the app. F-I-T-E. Uh -huh. It's free. Uh -huh. And you can watch uh, Power Bomb Wrestling, whatever you want. Yeah. So just uh, right. mention that in passing. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, no. and I have a note that uh, in like 1989 you moved to Channel 24 WNWO. Is that correct? Is that? Oh yeah, oh, oh yes. Oh, oh, this is a great story. If you want to hear it, yeah. this, is, this is a good one. Yeah. Okay. This is why WWE put Ted Turner out of business. You can multiply this story by a hundred. Okay. okay. <laughs> when Dick Bruiser and I parted ways as friends, the Turner people approached me to run Toledo for them. Mm -hmm. So I immediately had Miller Beer sponsor their show on Channel 24. So think about this. They got Channel 24 for nothing. Right. Now, they went into Channel 36 Fox, so I was also friends, but they bought time there. Uh -huh. Okay. So they were on two times. Now, McMahon came in and got on Channel 36 as well. So I had two shows on, and I had I had said I wanted uh, uh, to turn. I wanted ten percent of the gate, and they had mentioned to me as well how the race only get seven and a half percent of the gate in St. Louis. And I says, "Has he got your free television?" <laughs> and he says, "No." Okay. So anyway, I have never seen a more incompetent mishmash of bands. We'll talk about the wrestlers. The WCW wrestlers were great. Many of them are still my friends to this day. But they told me, here's the schedule. There's going to be 
We're going to run a show every second month. We're going to run eight weeks. There'll be four weeks with generic interviews, just about nothing. Then there'll be four weeks about we're coming to Toledo. The first show, they went seven weeks without one mention of Toledo. On the eighth week, they finally, with one week's thing, we did $16,000. And they just kept forgetting to run the ads. They kept forgetting to run them. They just didn't run them. Now, put on top of that, Channel 36 called me and says, we don't want one, two wrestling shows. We only want one wrestling show. Since uh, you're from Toledo, you're with Turner. Uh, if Turner will talk to us, I'm assuming they want a little bit more money, but they were going to kick McMahon and WWF off the air. I would have had exclusive. Not one person from Atlanta would come back. Uh, not one person. This is when Jim Hurd was running things. Uh, yeah. I tried to call Jim Barnett. He wouldn't talk to me. I tried to call everybody. I told this girl, George, who's a very nice lady, used to answer the phone. I said, we can have all of Toledo. I told her what happened. Then, when they decided to kick Turner off and give it to Vince, I got called and how could I let this possibly happen? <laughs> how could you let this happen? I was, in, I, was, I was a nervous wreck because I was this close to getting McMahon out of Toledo. And, and these guys down at Turner were too stupid to pick up a call. I told Terry Funk about that. He just rolled his eyes. He said, well, if I'd have been the booker down there that had been out, it would have been out real quick, Jerry, because when I book the territory, I pay attention to the promoters in each town. Because yeah. every town has its own kind of a personality. What well, works in Plato may not work in Columbus and so forth, and Terry understood that. That's why I never could understand why they didn't make him the booker Ole Anderson was a very poor booker at best. Yep. Terry Funk is a genius. Yep. And I think that Vince McMahon had a horrible night sleeping if Terry, if Terry Funk had taken over the book at uh, WCW. But now, you see how badly they screwed up Toledo. I heard other horror stories about their total incompetency. Because I'll tell you what they didn't do, what they should have done, is I heard they had little clicks. This is what I heard from guys that worked there. Like Hulk Kogan, his clique of guys. Kevin Sullivan has his clique of guys. They were competing against each other. And somebody else, I guess Nash, Nash and Hall, they had their little clique. Yeah. And it'd be, when you run a wrestling promotion, I'm telling you right now, anybody out there that's thinking about getting in business, which is not really a good idea because wrestling's not too healthy this time, but uh, one person runs that promotion as far as the booking and the matches go. And that man is Hill, that man is Mussolini, that man is Caesar. If he's not doing a good job, then the owner should fire him. When you start having groups of guys competing with each other about what you're going to do, you're done. Yeah. You're beat. It's like going to 100-yard dash with 50-pound uh, weights on your legs. Uh, and they, 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 they were falling off the Empire State Building deal with Ted Turner's money. I don't know who's advising them, but WCW uh, could have been still in business to this day, but the people running it, it was just an absolute uh, horrible. And McMahon, as much as I talked about him in the past, was very efficient. He was the dictator, and he is, that we need to have a successful promotion. So can have lieutenants that you can give orders to and advisors that make suggestions to you. I'm not saying you have to do everything yourself. I myself, we have a very small promotion to right now. I have we have a booker's meeting once a month, and I'm in charge of everything. Not to brag, but because I'm more experienced than they are. <laughs> but they're all, they give, they give, no, but they give me suggestions. So they say, that stinks. Mm-hmm. And the other ones say, hey, that's not a bad idea. So I, mean, I don't do it all on my own, but that's, that's how you've got to do it. There's got to be one guy. Before I made my deal with Bruiser, Bruiser was it. Wilbur Snyder was a partner. 
and they would have a meeting with Wilbur Snyder and I guess Bobby Heenan and Sam Benneker, and they would sit down and talk about what they were going to do. And that's the only way to do it. Dick DeBruzer was our our uh, dictator there, and he was very successful. Yep. Yep. You go to an independent. How many independent shows have you gone to in your lifetime? Dave? Oh, I couldn't even tell you. Countless. <laughs> when you walk in, you see a bunch of guys all talking about what their matches are going to be like by themselves separately. You uh, walk in the dressing room. Yeah. When you see that, they're done. Yeah. When you see that, they're done. Yeah. There's somebody. So, uh, our matches at uh, Power Bombing, everything is totally organized. Whether we succeed or fail, we're doing things correctly. And right now, things are getting better. And I'd like to just put in a, a, one little plug, if I may. Yeah. Now, now this is not going to make me a dime because it's something that's already happened. Uh-huh. But I wanted, I want to just mention it. On our last show on Powerbomb Championship Wrestling, which is St. Clement's Hall in Toledo, Ohio, you can check the you know Powerbomb schedule Facebook page or PowerbombExcitement.com uh, or whatever. Uh, was the greatest match I have ever seen in my entire 40 years in wrestling. It was a cage match. Mm-hmm. There was four guys. One of them was called History in the Making. The other was called CIA. They got a 16-foot steel cage. And, I, and I'm just talking about the best cage match I've ever seen. I go back to Buddy Rogers, who I thought was the greatest wrestler of all time and still do. But in this match, there was so much activity. I'm talking about suplexes off the top of the 16-foot cage into the middle of the ring. I'm, t- I'm talking about uh, uh, psychology that went with it. I'm talking about everything you can imagine. It was uh, At this point, the old timers always talk about how good things were in the old days, and they were good, I got to admit. But these guys, I got it. These guys are a throwback. These 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 kids had this back off kids because they're in their twenties. I'm seventy. I got grandkids in their twenties right now. <laughs> yeah. But these kids, it was a it was the greatest match I've ever seen. Wow! And they're, they're not going to show it on television because they keep the key matches off the of TV. But uh, I am telling you, I have never seen anything as great as that match. Yeah. Uh, history in the making is a young young team. Sless uh, uh, Taylor, I can't even think of his partner's name. Then the CIA you got. Uh, Denzel, Titan, and uh, I forget the other guy's name too, but they're all terrific, terrific young wrestlers. And I'll tell you, that's what this game is all about, young minds and young legs. Yep. Once you get to be 40, you can't do it like you used to. You get guys like we're doing, getting experienced guys in, in their 20s and early 30s, and you're going to have some uh, real action. Yep, and that's right. I'll just mention that. Yeah. So uh, one question that I've gotten asked several times is why was Dr. Jerry Graham Jr. never WWA champion? Why did that? Why was well, that never, never the trigger never pulled? Well, because that's a good question. That's a very good question. And, and when I was booking the whole territory, I was booking Indianapolis and Illinois for Dick as well, as far as uh, you know what, what we were going to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, usually, a guy gets the book, he gets the belt right away. Yep. But I sat back, I said, what's best for this promotion? My specialty was tag team wrestling. Mm-hmm. My first uh, tag team partner was Golden Boy Paul Christie, and we started. We drew tremendous money over it when it was in WWA, just Indiana and Illinois. Right. And then Christie and me had a party of the ways. I'm still a great friend of mine. I love the man. Then Bulldog Don Kent and I came along, and that was an even stronger team. Right. And so I, I, I concentrated my, uh, my uh, efforts to tag team wrestling, and besides, who's a better champion if you're going to have Dick the Bruiser than Wojo? Right, that's true. I mean, 
when you look at Wojo, you look at a five foot eleven inch, two hundred eighty five pound guy with an inch of fat on him coming to the ring that you know can take anybody's butt in the world. That's right. And uh, and that's why you should take challenges from the audience. That's why we put up a million dollars for a match to shoot, to be their Hogan or Flair, uh-huh. both the same night if they wanted. Uh, we wanted Wojo to be a real champion that people could look to. And anybody that wanted to come down, they had to bring a doctor's clearance slip and stuff. Yeah. There's, there's some certain uh, stipulations. We had ten thousand uh, dollars for anybody that could beat Wojo, yeah. and uh, nobody ever did. Yeah. And, uh, and that, but that's what I thought was best for us. Then Scott Steiner came. Yeah. Now believe not, you can you can hurt my feelings if you want to. Who would you think would make a stronger champion, me or Scott Steiner, as a single? Uh, well, in retrospect, given where he went. Well, that's so. That's well, no, but I trained him, and where he went is where yeah, I sent him. And um, and I say that in a good yeah. way. I mean, I sent him. On, I taught him how to wrestle professionally. He was a top-notch amateur before he ever met me. But I taught him how to wrestle professionally. I booked him his first hundred matches. Anyway, his first hundred matches he was working for me. Uh, his real name was Scott Rex Steiner, but right. they, they changed his name to Steiner. But my point is. I always look what's good for the promotion. I never thought that I would be a strong singles champion. Yeah. Okay. And as such, that's why I never pursued it. Yeah. I stayed with it. I thought that kept me. Uh, and once again, I uh, I get some friction on this because was, uh, we didn't have the bleach blonde hair and we didn't have the. Uh, but I, I, don't, I don't think there was too many tag teams more cohesive than Kent and I. Yep, I agree. We really, we really had it together. We knew what each other was thinking at all times. We knew what we were doing. And we, we drew money, of course. And uh, the fact that we were five-time champions, we lost it four times. So that means I wasn't one of these megalomaniac bookers that couldn't be beaten. Uh, and I, I tried to do it always what was best for the promotion. And uh, oh, I know what I wanted to say a minute ago, and I forgot to say it. When I, was losing, I lost my train of thought for a minute because I was talking about my my book, uh, Confessions of a Big Time Wrestler. We're talking about. Uh, things on the internet that weren't true. Uh-huh. Another thing I come across on the internet is, oh sure, Jerry Graham wrote a book about himself, putting himself over, and uh, you know, uh, and what a you know arrogant, egotistical. All these other wrestlers wrote books about themselves, but this book, whether you want to get it or not, uh, the fans uh, uh, Dave's advertising on his mm-hmm. site, so we don't need to get into that. Yep. This book is about the interesting people that I have met while I was in the wrestling business. It was not about me. It was about me meeting Bull Cleary and experiences with Dick the Bruiser, experiences with the Sheik, experiences with Hulk Hogan, experiences with Scott Steiner. It was a story of the people I met. It was meant to be like a history, something to be put down, stories. And I divide this book into three sections. Stories that are absolutely fact because I've seen them myself. Mm-hmm. Okay, like the, when the Sheik and Ivan Kov got in a horrible fist fight in an airplane, we were going to the Middle East to Kuwait. They were bleeding. I mean, it was a fight. They got drunk and got a horrible fight. Iron Sheik and Ivan Kov. Yeah. That was a true story. Then there was what I called credible stories. I, I believe the witnesses, like Flying Fred Curry, told me a story about Jerry Graham getting thrown out of a fancy nightclub in New York. I believe that because I figured Fred Curry was a credible source. Mm-hmm. And my third category was urban legends. I don't know if this story's true or not, but this is what I've been saying for years. Yeah. I make it very clear in this book what I'm telling you. It's a fact, as I know it, uh, a story that I believe the, the source, or an urban legend. 
And uh, but the book was not made to get me over or to make me some kind of a superstar because right. uh, I, I, I don't care about that. I yeah. just wanted to leave something behind for the best. And I think it's a good book for four hours of audio and a 90-minute tape. Uh, not tape, but disc with matches. 90 minutes of matches you can watch on TV and four hours of me talking about wrestling. Uh, and the people that I met, I mean, like I said, a little bit about me, but that's not the... Uh, yeah. uh, the theme of the book. Right. That's what I wanted to say about internet not being always truthful. I thought there was a law that said that what's on the internet it has to be true. Yeah. Isn't that right? That's right. That's not right. I don't know. I'm going to get you a copy. I, I promised you a copy of that book. I haven't forgotten. All right. I'm get you a copy. Sounds good. So, and I, I think you'll enjoy it. Yep. It's just whatever. So, yeah. Anyway, any, anything else about Bruiser Bedlam you had in mind? I'm a little bit off track yeah. there. Yeah, I actually got a couple more here. Just. Do you re- do you remember the final WWA show that ran before you guys decided to close shop? Well, the final one in, to- in Toledo that I was involved with was uh, the Leon Spinks Wojo match. Okay. And, and uh, but I wrestled a few shows in Indiana afterwards. Dick kept a few of the towns open, uh-huh. and the last show I remember wrestling for Dick was in uh, South Bend, Indiana. Okay. And uh, that night, was a story in itself, Dick the Bruiser had an appendicitis in the ring, wrestling Wojo. Oh. He never stopped the match. He, the match was over. Went back, took a shower, got his clothes on, paid all the wrestlers, and drove home to Indianapolis and checked himself into the hospital. Um. <laughs> that, was absol- that was absolutely a tough, tough man. Now, I think the Bruiser's absolutely. How, how far, how close was that to his passing? Because I heard they were at spot shows almost up to his passing. Well, another thing I want to say is that I was the last person to ever wrestle Dick the Bruiser on television. Um, okay, that's something. Uh, his passing, uh, the appendicitis had nothing to do with his passing because he right. died from an uh, aorta of the uh, right. esophagus, I believe. Yeah. And they were not an aorta uh, of he orders a part of the heart. He, uh, yeah. uh, when a vein blows up, I can't think of the, yeah. uh, the name of it now. But anyway, while, while he was working out in Florida, uh-huh. uh, he had a aneurysm, they call it, an aneurysm of the esophagus. Yeah. And he found in his own blood before he could. Now, I asked doctors, what is an aneurysm? Because you're born with them. I hope that makes you comfortable, Dave. <laughs> you're born with them. And it's a weak spot of the vein, and it can stay dormant forever, yep. so you die of something else. It can pop when you're five years old, it can pop when you're eight years old. Yeah. But as the doctor explained it to me, you're born with a tendency to aneurysm in some of your veins. And I mean, uh, what happens is when it kicks in, it's what, uh, it blows up like a balloon. Now, Wojo had the aneurysm of the aorta. That's what killed John Ritter, the TV movie star. Uh, right. John Ritter, same thing. They were, but Wojo was able to, he had one at 48. Now Wojo was 68. Yep. And doing good, yeah. but usually aneurysms can be serious. My grandfather, of blessed memory, died of an aneurysm of the heart. I'm not sure which part of the heart, but uh, in those days there was no treatment at all for them. Today they can save some people. Mojo was one of them. Yeah. But uh, uh, but yeah, I I don't think that the appendicitis had anything to do with his passing. In my yeah. opinion, but I'm not a doctor. Yeah. I am a doctor, but not of medicine. <laughs> I'm a doctor of thinkology. Yeah. Okay. So, so what became of the WW name after Bruiser passes? Where does that? Oh, 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 oh! Please, please, you've got to. 
It's on my Facebook wall. Uh, we started up a WWA here in Toledo. We had a, a local TV channel, and so the, the guys wanted to get started. So we, my brother ran a hall. I says, you can have a hall on Sundays for free. Okay. And he gave us the concession, and so we started running again. And also, we get legal papers that we can't use the name WWA because you know, some guy named uh, Albert, Albert Patterson. Yep, mm-hmm. that's where I was going. <laughs> so, so I found him on the internet. So I, I put him on and uh, sarcastic. He says, "This is why the wrestling business is so tough. We got two fisted executives like this. Is yeah. this the next Vince McMahon? The next Donaldson? Did you yeah. see that on I my page? Yep, <laughs> yeah. I did. This 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 guy. I mean. I, I, I mean, I was shocked. I mean, what, this, uh, uh, oh, by the way, Richard McMahon took him to court and, and cleaned, cleaned his car. Uh, my lawyer told me we could have done the same thing, but we didn't have the money to do it. We yeah. just changed our name. It was easier. Yeah. But uh, what does this guy think he is? I mean, uh, I don't know. You got to buy up. You got to buy up these uh, trademarks, and then you got to charge people for it. Yeah. Then, you know, the way he's talking, you could think he gave me the impression that he could read and write. But I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I was kind of aiming at when I asked that question because I, <laughs> I had uh, yeah, well, I, I had heard yeah, about him before good. I saw your post, and I wondered how yeah. what all that was. <laughs> well, I posted that before, right after it happened. I yeah. mean, yeah, I mean, this is a this is the business is a magnet draws strange people. Sure does. Uh, uh, I, I, I know Jimmy Cornette, who I, I respect a lot. Anybody that imitates me, I got to respect because he told me himself that he used to watch me on television. Yeah. Of course, you know, there's only one me, but Jimmy Cornette, very successful, very smart man. He, he made it, I saw an interview with him the other day where he said something that I agree with entirely. He says, everybody in wrestling is crazy. He says, either you're sane when you get in and the business drives you crazy, or you're crazy to get in in the first place. But there's nobody participating in the business that isn't crazy. But some crazy people can be smart. And some people can be dumb. When we talk about the WWA situation, we talk about a dumb, crazy person yeah, instead right. of a smart, crazy person. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Wrestling Fans International Association is back. That's right, the premier fan club association of the 1970s and 1980s has been revived and is back in business. Join today. It's free at the WFIA.org. That's T-H-E-W-F-I-A.org. You can also join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash groups slash WFIA 1969. All right, and welcome back to Wrestling Nostalgia. Uh, thank you to Dr. Jerry Graham Jr. for that. Again, I know that's from several years ago, but uh, appreciate his uh, knowledge, his history, uh, his his chats all the time. Thank you, good doctor, for that. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Hopefully you enjoyed uh, all these WWA uh, history episodes. Uh, stand by. Like I said, there will be more coming, but uh, I'm hoping, I, I'm really hoping, uh, in about the next month, I'm really hoping that... Uh, I'm going to make a a big announcement, something that I've kind of been sitting on and working on. Uh, So I'm hoping in about a month or so that I can make that announcement uh, public. And it's going to be pretty exciting. And I I think everyone's going to like that. Uh, Once again, follow me on all the social media outlets. Make sure you subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you listen to. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your time. Thank you for all that you do for me and for the show. Remember what I always say. Hey, support what you like. Uh, don't be afraid to enjoy what you like 
and then just ignore the the rest. Let's don't get into arguments. Let's don't worry about putting things down. That's who cares, right? Just support what you enjoy and ignore the rest. Uh, we'll come back at you in two weeks with another episode. But until then, I am Dave Dynasty, and this is Wrestling Nostalgia. And wherever you go and whatever you do, be good, be safe, and always keep on growing.